0: Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your
1: hosts, Andy, Todd, and Dude. Hello. Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. Got Andy and Don with me. Gentlemen, good morning. How are you doing? You stole my hello joke. I always steal your jokes, Don. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: kind of what the intro is for. You just steal each other's jokes. <laughs> <laughs> my question for
1: you guys is, are you ready to shake and finger pop? Um, Karamu
0: fiesta yeah, we're all
1: we're all we're all adults sure we can shake and pop and caramo and fiesta so yeah we're uh three guys that love talking about albums in the album format we have a musical wheel of destiny that we spin every show at the end and it tells us what we'll talk about on the next show and uh we also love to answer a question that we ask ourselves in the course of the program so this week we're talking about that motown sound
0: yeah, Motown Records is a, an American record label founded by Barry Gordy Jr. as Tamiya Records in 1958, and it was incorporated as Motown Record Corporation in 1960. It was originally headquartered in Detroit, Michigan. The Mo is actually short for Motor. <laughs> uh, because Detroit is the Motor City. And why, why is Detroit the Motor City, Don? Because that's basically where the cars come from.
1: <laughs> yes. All right. So now we've all learned something today.
0: Uh, So Motown played an important role in the racial integration of popular music as an African-American-owned label that achieved crossover success. In the 1960s, uh, Motown was basically synonymous with a a style of soul music with mainstream pop appeal. And that Motown imprint uh, has... Continued on in in various forms uh, up till today we have actually covered uh, some Motown albums in the past Uh, You guys did what's going on Marvin Gaye and of course in the album nerds Hall of Fame the Ainhoff is uh, (laughs) Stevie Wonder inner visions We're each bringing to the table records from the the Motown label
1: what I'm talking
2: about. Motown. So what is everyone's experience, expectations with this label? It's been around for so many decades, so many iterations. For me, it was, I really remember it mostly from like the 60s era. And like kind of those like classic R&B and soul groups like The Temptations and Smokey Robinson especially was like a big part of my childhood growing up. The Four Tops even, I remember hearing some of those songs. My grandparents, you know, on their radio. So I have pretty fond memories of that that period of music and i think that's mostly what i was gravitating towards for this but how about you guys
0: yeah that's that's what i think of uh, as well and i thought maybe the challenge would be you know finding an an album uh just because you know i think of hit singles from that era so you know finding albums that were meant to be long form um you know
1: i thought might be a, a challenge hitsville usa i think is what it was called right that's right. They they cranked out all those hits, you know, heard it through the grapevine and My Girl and all that stuff. So I grew up just thinking that Motown was cool. You know, anything on the Motown label had to be good because there's so many famous artists like Diana Ross and the Jackson 5 and Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder. And and uh, the challenge was finding an album that I uh, either looked back on fondly or could love that wasn't Stevie Wonder or Marvin Gaye, because those are the ones I want to talk about the most. <laughs> yeah. We got some good stuff, some different stuff here this week. You
2: choo choo choose me?
1: Alright, 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 for my selection here, I'm going
2: with Junior Walker and the All-Stars and their nineteen sixty-five record Shotgun. We are gonna play the title cut a little bit of shotgun. Yeah, so that song I recognized, and a couple others on this album, but this album was new to me, Um, but it really struck me with just how much funk and blues these guys brought to this record. So this is their debut. Junior Walker was born Autry DeWalt Mixon Jr. from Arkansas. Nice. Yeah. bring out the full name in honor of you guys. (laughs) Uh, This is on the Soul imprint, which is like a... Side label of Motown, something that Gordy started up just I think, a couple of years before, it was produced by by Barry Gordy, who I think we mentioned earlier is kind of like the head honcho there at Motown. He thought of this as a dance tune record. I guess when you look at the Mo- Motown catalog, there weren't a lot of like upbeat dance specific albums um, this one kind of does fit that genre and that there's pretty good groove going on throughout the whole record so junior walker had been around since the mid-50s uh, playing with different versions of this band and um, so this is really his breakthrough he'd been doing it for a while. And I uh, just got a bunch of songs here together, and it's pretty loose, I would say, collection of songs. There's vocals on about a half of them. What did you guys think? What was your first impressions? Had you heard this record before in its entirety?
0: I had not heard of it. In fact, I hadn't heard of uh, Junior Walker. In fact, I, I thought it was J.R. Walker. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I, it did turn out that I, I knew Shotgun. I was really impressed with it. I... Uh, I mean, it's just it's just a lot of fun, you know. It's just like a nonstop uh, assault, you know, of like funk and the saxophone is is amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's not something I would have uh, appreciated earlier in my life, but it, but as as I've grown up, you know, I just really love this. I mean, I don't think it's a typical Motown record, so I don't know. I, I I'm kind of surprised it was it was made.
1: Yeah, I I had not heard the whole album. I'd heard the song. I'd heard of. J.R. walker before but i i was not uh i never really thought of it as a album cut i thought of it as a like maybe it was just a a single on some compilation or something and uh yeah i mean very saxy and it's the kind of album i think that you know when we did our sax appeal show i feel like this is the kind of sound that worked its way into, you know, bar band type blues rock style music. So, yeah, it was, it was very fun to listen to. Not a lot to grab onto lyrically, which is okay. I mean, it can just be fun. A lot of, I was like, what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> Quite a few times.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think lyrics be focused on mostly like giving instructions to people. I found that like there's a lot of like, Get up and do that, or we're going to go do this, or instructions on how to dance.
1: It's, it's a party album. Yeah. yeah. Kind of, you know, I think that maybe the time, the the Prince side project, uh Morris Day in the time, they had that kind of energy in their, because it, it sounded like a live performance in a lot yeah. of ways, you know, like yeah. that party atmosphere, like go do this and, you know do the bird is kind of it reminded me of that kind of vibe
2: that's totally that that party vibe is what they're going for here let me play one of those party vibe tracks this is a little bit from shake and finger pop that is junior walker on the tenor sax there it always always impresses me when you have a, a vocalist and a you know a horn player going back and forth between vocals and these pretty boisterous, loud uh, sax solos he, he puts into these tracks here. Um, he goes back and forth pretty seamlessly. Must be exhausting. But I think it works really well. My three words for this record I came up with were loud, funk, soul. Uh, I think it really is a loud, just kind of raw, like raucous, like Don sound said. It's like an assault sort of. <laughs> it's very loud in comparison to the other records we're talking about on the show. I think it is because it's, it's intended to be put on in like a loud room. And kind of like fight against the crowd noise to, to stand up on its own. And I think it does that really well. If you're a fan of all of like James Brown and what he was doing at this time, I think this would definitely be right up your alley. Why don't we play one of the instrumental cuts? So like the B-side of this record is strictly just inter- instrumental tracks, which are all pretty short, the two, two, three minute range, but they cover a lot of ground in that, in that period. And this is one of those songs that gets through a lot in a short period of time. This is Ain't That the Truth.
0: It reminds me a lot of um like the Steve Winwood records, you know, with, yes. with Spencer Davis, yes. you know, that that stuff. And actually the vocal style is is a lot like that.
1: Yeah, I had Steve Winwood's Roll With It in my head all week and I knew it was related to this. Um so go check out Roll With It if you haven't if you haven't heard that song. Uh Steve Winwood, some good stuff. That was like mid eighties, I think. But uh yeah, totally influenced by this mm. sort of thing. We'll have to check that
2: out myself. Uh, yeah, what an interesting little tidbit about Walker himself. So, I mean, they had different iterations of this band, Get Back Together in the 70s and even into the 80s, but they weren't super successful or didn't really produce a lot of material. But Walker would go on to, to play with Foreigner for a few years in, in the 80s and had some notable moments on some other records. So he would continue to, to be in the music scene for, for his, most of his life.
0: Well, uh, you know, one of the great things about you know doing this show is you you find some of these these hidden gems, and this is this is definitely one of those. This is one I'll you know revisit in the future.
1: You know, you could use this at your uh, outdoor gatherings. I did be good party music. Yeah, you know, put it on your playlist. So, all right, so it was
2: Junior Walker and the All Stars. Record is Shotgun. Worth a listen for a uh, funky, danceable, good time.
0: Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions.
1: Now it is time on the Album Nerds podcast when we ask ourselves a question. When you hear someone say Motown, what comes to mind? Besides the music, and we're talking about albums, but what you know culturally, what comes to mind?
2: Well, I mean, you got to go to Detroit, right? I mean, that's kind of the basis of the sound, and that's what I think of first. Detroit, cars, smog, <laughs> industry, <laughs> that kind of thing.
0: Actually I mean one of the one of the things I, I thought of was the the four tops were like a, a guest uh, they did a, a cameo on uh, an episode of Webster back in the back in the eighties. So that's that's like one of the I think ma'am or whatever the his mother like guardian. Oh, yeah. She was like a huge Four Tops fan. <laughs> uh, so that's you know that's that's one of the the things that I, I think of that ABC song when Smokey sings. It's about like Smokey Robinson. I, I guess I I think of that as as well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Smokey Robinson did have, uh, does have quite a voice. A sm- it fits his name. It is very Smokey. You know, I mentioned a big chill and stuff like that. My parents embarrassingly dancing around whenever a, a Motown song was on. But uh, the Motown 25 TV special in 1983, when they were celebrating 25 years of Motown and its influence, and all these artists were there, and there were... All sorts of incredible performances. The one that most people think of is the Jackson 5 performed, and this was right around when Thriller had come out, and so they did a bunch of Jackson 5 songs, and then Michael says uh, something about he loves those old songs, but he really likes the new songs, and the crowd loses it. My household loses it. He's doing <laughs> moonwalks, and everyone I knew was just, that's all anyone talked about, just being blown away. And that dead that, that, shoot, his record sales up through the roof. But on that were you know, Diana Ross performed and uh Lionel Richie, I mean it was just this endless stream of, of artists, including J.R. Walker there. Junior Walker was playing saxophone for a few minutes. I think he was wearing a pink tuxedo. But yeah, uh, and then they brought out new gen, like DeBarge and other groups that were like the new generation of Motown. But I think that was kind of the pinnacle of its heyday, where it still had, was having all this impact from what had happened before, and had a lot of artists that, like Lionel Richie and others that were uh, hot stuff at the time. So I, I really look back fondly on that, and I always think of that when I think of Motown <music>
0: Well, the most successful Motown group uh, of, the, of the 1960s was the Supremes. Uh, so I, and I thought it was important to do one of their records. So actually, I went with uh, Love Child, which was released in uh, November of 1968. And at this time, they were called Diana Ross and the Supremes. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but let's hear the title track Love Child. The Supremes had so many hits in the in the early 1960s, you know, baby love, keep me hanging on. You know, by this time, their songs were getting more sophisticated. Uh, and actually, that's one one of my three words for this album. I did sophisticated, mature, and coherent. The songs aren't particularly... I mean, they're not challenging. They're more complex. You know, there's there's key changes. I mean, I'm not a music theory guy. You know, I can tell that it's just a much more sophisticated composition. And it's, you know, I think the album... Whereas like some of their early stuff, you know, their early albums were basically just like compilations of of their singles, um, and I I feel like this album and the one that that came before it, Reflections, kind of has a vibe that you know goes through
1: the the entire album. By '68, we had had that shift. This album format, like, really took shape in the in the mid to late '60s.
0: Yeah, so the Supremes were—they were founded in Detroit in 1959. They were originally called the Primettes, and they were actually a sister group to a, a group from Detroit known as the Primes. Uh, kind of, like, you remember the Chipmunks had like their sister group, the Chipettes. <laughs> the Chipettes, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the original group uh, was Florence Ballard, Mary Wilson, Diana Ross, and Betty McGlown. Uh, Barbara Martin replaced McGlown in, in 1960, and then Martin left in 1962. So the, the trio that we know was Ballard. Wilson and Ross and by 1967 Ballard left and was replaced by Cindy Birdsong, Song and so those are the three that are on this album Diana Ross kind of became the star of the band Barry Gordy officially changed the name of the group to Diana Ross and, and the Supremes yeah so what do you what do you guys think of this uh, Supremes record
1: I, I, uh, I enjoyed it I, I, I. <laughs> <laughs> mm, this sounds a little non-committal Listen,
2: I think there's some really awesome songs on here. And I totally agree, Don. It's a very complex record the songs on the surface seem pretty like they're about just love and the complexities around that but there's definitely a deeper level to what's going on here even lyrically i think there's some interesting topics they, they cover i mean love child you just played there's kind of i guess the darker side of of young romance i guess or you know what are you gonna do with this baby now kind of situation and the song doesn't know about b also pretty interesting uh considering the times. So there's a lot. There's definitely a lot here to sink your teeth into. I thought there maybe were a handful of songs that weren't quite as interesting to me as you get later on in the record. Overall, uh, you know, it's hard to hard to ignore the the power of Diana Ross.
1: Yeah, I strongly consider the Diana Ross solo album because of her. I don't know what it is. It's not her voice is just very unique and carries a lot of emotion. Really good at uh, soft drama. Like, you can tell that there's strife and drama in the voice, but it's not strained at all. It just comes through somehow in the tones. I'm not sure what she was doing, but it's pretty cool. And, yeah, this album was more than I expected. Uh, there were a few songs that I was not so into, like the one about bees or whatever. There's a lot of honeybee stuff in, in Motown lyrics.
0: You're sweet like a honeybee. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes thank you for that I'm the fifth touch sorry um, <laughs> <laughs> well so. <laughs> now I'm tempted to try out to be oh, the boy. sixth
0: <laughs>
1: <Okay>. nope <laughs> yes yeah, nice work. And I know that they had had a shake up with their writing team. And so they assembled all these people to try and resuscitate the Supremes because they kind of, the last album hadn't done so well. I assume, Don, you've got a bunch of info on that.
0: Yeah, so the the songwriting team that was responsible for most of the Supremes' hits, uh, Lamont Dozier and Brian and Eddie Holland. Yeah, and so you're you're right. This this album uh, featured a bunch of different songwriters and actually a bunch of different producers as well. It seems like every song was was produced by a different uh, a different person. So that includes like Barry Gordy, Smokey Robinson, Ashford and Simpson. I um, think the Solid is a rock people. Uh, yeah, they are solid. <laughs> uh, okay, well, why don't we uh, let's listen to, to some more uh, of the album. Um, one of my favorites was uh, "Keep an Eye," so let's let's hear a clip of that. Yeah, she really does have an interesting voice, you know. I mean, she's not Aretha Franklin. Um, she has kind of more of like a juvenile quality to her voice or, or something, but it's, it's still just very uh, emotive uh, and, and expressive. Um, I, I love that. Um, Donnie Lakey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I almost have arthritis in my finger from having it over the Donnie Likey button for the last half an hour.
0: Uh, Let's do another one. Um, You you guys had mentioned, Does Your Mother Know About Me? Let's hear a, a taste of that. Tommy Chong of uh, Cheech and Chong fame had actually actually wrote this song. Um, The name is, I I forgot which band uh, had done that song first. But yeah, Tommy Chong. I thought for sure there
2: was Um, another Tommy Chong. Why would he be involved with this record?
0: Well, I think he was a, I mean, he was a songwriter. You know, I, I think a lot of the, if you ever hear a Cheech and Chong record, you know, there's a lot of parody songs and stuff. Yeah. And I think he was, you know, re- responsible for writing all those songs. So.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. A hidden talent, Tommy Chong. Yeah. Those last two songs we played were probably my two favorites on the album. Don, I couldn't find anything about it, but I wondered, you know, does your mother know about me? I I, I know it's about, you know relationship and did you tell your mom that you're dating me and that kind of stuff but do you think there was a biracial component to that that was my takeaway that was mine too yeah i feel like i had actually
2: read that somewhere maybe where it was noted to be yeah, an interracial couple.
1: Especially in those times, you know, in 1967, guess who's coming to dinner? Sydney Poitier, Spencer Tracy. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen that movie, but it, that was very controversial and about a black man and a white woman getting married and the impact on their families and society at the time and people's prejudices. So I don't know, that just came to mind for me and, and uh I liked the treatment of that song. I thought it was very heartfelt. Yeah. So
2: definitely stands out. Um, I really love those tracks with the uh, the orchestras on them, or just the strings. I feel like they add so much to that drama. I mean, you mentioned Diana's voice is very dramatic, but I think you get a lot. I got a lot from that. Those swells with the strings yeah. as well.
0: You know, much is made of the sort of the Brian Wilson Paul McCartney rivalry, but I feel like the you know the, these Motown people were you know kind of in on that as well I, I hear so much brian wilson in these songs you know that those big that big orchestration i hear phil Spector stuff in in there as well that that wall of sound so yeah it really was kind of a, a heyday for producers uh, i think you know pop producers okay so that was diana ross and the supremes uh with love child this is friendship pure unadulterated friendship oh, yeah
2: hey there music fans looking for a place to while the hours away uh yeah you could do that on the album nerds discord i know i do go to albumnerds.com discord all sorts of fun stuff going on there we're talking about just general album recommendations things were topics we discussed on the show of course uh, You can also suggest topics for upcoming shows through the Wheel of Musical Destiny. Um, yeah, I can just chat with uh, like-minded uh, music nerds such as yourself. So go to the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash discord. Hello, hello, is it me you looking for?
1: So I'll be talking about Lionel Richie today and his humongous $10 million copies sold in the U.S. alone album. I thought you were going to say humongous Mustache.
0: I thought you were going to say Thumb, because I remember from the We Are the World video, (laughs) he does the thumbs up, and it's gigantic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I did not see any of that coming. Thank you. God, now I'm going to have to go look for his thumb. Hold on, Googling Lionel Richie Thumb right now. Okay. Um, The album... That sold 10 million copies and was a huge success. <laughs> it's called "Can't Slow Down," released in October of 1983. And let's listen to a little bit of "Hello."
2: Clue, but let me start by saying,
1: that was a uh, dedication from Dude to Andy oh. and Don. Uh, yeah, "Hello" is a humongous song. I think about the video most when i when i hear it but uh we'll talk about that in a a moment i want to say lionel richie's full name before we can i know i've been waiting what is it (laughs) lionel brockman richie jr he's another junior huh there's a jr yeah there we go this is his second studio album he had been in the band the commodores for quite a few years before this, who had, I think, started on Atlantic and did sign to Motown after their first album. And they're known for Brick House and some other funky hits. He played saxophone, but then uh, as time went on, the songs like Easy, he started writing, and then the Commodores kind of became that sort of group with their number one hits. So anyway, Lionel took his talents out on the streets as a solo artist, had some big hits off of his first album and even bigger hits off of his second, Second album, this one, Hello is probably the biggest hit off the album. And it's about falling in love with someone from a distance. Maybe you know them, but they don't know that, uh, you know, you've observed the wonderful things about them. And now you're. You want to tell them that you love them. Well, a little stalkery, but we didn't have social media and all that at the time. So it didn't seem that creepy, but the video was a little creepy because he was like, I think he was a teacher at a college. And then this blind student was the one that he was singing to. And, but she was for, she couldn't see, but she was sculpt, a sculptor and she was sculpting his face without ever seeing it. So she loved him too, somehow. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Let's get into what you guys think about this. I've been talking long enough.
2: I definitely heard a lot of these singles on the radio growing up. So I think the A-side, the entire A-side was released as a single. I mean, (laughs) pretty much a lot of hits on (laughs) her.
0: Yeah, my dad loved the song Hello, (laughs) so that was it was actually a cassette that we owned as a family. So yeah, we I I did listen to it to it quite a bit and you know, all of the ballads got a ton of play on like adult contemporary radio.
1: Yeah, I mean so around that time also, I, I remember the American Music Awards was hosted by Lionel Richie, and this was like 83, 84. And he performed a couple of times and made jokes about, you know, he's probably early 30s, mid-30s, and was making jokes about not being able to dance like Michael Jackson, who won like eight. Remember that? Mm-hmm. That he'd like won eight awards <laughs> and kept coming up and not performing and disappointing me. But Lionel <laughs> Richie was like a cool dad kind of a, a vibe to me, and I understood Everything he was saying in his songs. And that's what I think where his strengths lie. Very straightforward lyrics, but they feel heartfelt and genuine. They don't feel like schlocky, easy rhymes or anything. It, if, yeah, I, there, if He walks that line really well. And he wrote the song, Lady, <laughs> um, that was made famous by Kenny Rogers. He had nine, like I think nine either top 10 or number one hits, like nine years in a row, he had at least one number one that he wrote or co-wrote. So yeah, he had quite a run. All right, why don't we, uh, yeah. Why don't we take a listen to a little more upbeat song, my favorite one on the album, uh, Running With The Knights. Let's jump in. Love the song, love the bass, love the overall feel. Like, I totally picture a a night out in a neon lit 1980s big shoulder pads world, and I love it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I I wish there were more songs like that on the album. You know, I mean, I, I think the ratio of ballad to a banger or whatever is uh he's <laughs> <laughs> not quite right you know, subtract maybe maybe two of the ballads and add a couple of more you know funky numbers yeah the opening cut i think is a little bit in that funkier side uh
2: and I, I kept thinking the same thing like i wish it was more like this i kept coming back to running with the night and love will find a way like why are these songs six minutes long like that definitely be three minutes long so i think do, do the same thing
1: well, I, no. Running with the Night, has got to be six minutes long. I love the full album cut of that as opposed to the radio edit. That's me, though. I love all that, the guitar solo at the end and all that. I, I always loved that part. Yeah, you're right. Like, Can't Slow Down was the opening cut, and it had sort of a wanna be starting something from Michael Jackson's Thriller. Yeah, Very yep. similar kind of beat and vibe to that. So that's what he did really well. Like, his sound t- kissed the sounds of a lot of other things that were going on at the time. Let's listen to Stuck On You, which jumps into that little bit of country realm, where this one could have been a Kenny Rogers song, too. So what do you guys think of that, uh, on not full-on chameleon, but a little bit of that to the, to the songs, where they all sound like Lionel Richie, but there is definitely little hints of other popular sounds at the time mixed in
0: yeah i like that i like that that little country guitar there it's uh it, it's a nice touch yeah he really can you know i mean he could sing anything i, I think
2: yeah for me that unfortunately that song is always going to be ruined by the, the don just detergent commercials or
1: they're on un- really was it about like food not coming yeah, off the exactly. of plates or something <laughs> oh man You You've never seen that commercial no, no. Who okayed that? Lionel, come on, man. I never,
2: I, every time I hear that song, I just see hands washing pots and pans. So.
0: I, there's a lot of Motown in commercials. Because actually now I, I remember that Sugar Pie Honey Bunch was it was in like Duncan Hines or something. <laughs> I heard it through the
1: grapevine, the but, California raisins and stuff. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I really sold that. But
2: yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of his appeal as sort of being a little bit of everything. Like a smuggish board of adult contemporary music. So, yeah, I mean, that's something to be said for walking that line, like you said, kind of being a little bit, little bit of this, a little bit of that, but not too extreme one way or the other.
1: Yeah, and uh, like you mentioned Love Will Find a Way, that sounded like 80s Stevie Wonder to me. Like, I just called to say I love you, Stevie Wonder. It had that kind of sound to it. Uh, we have to talk a little bit about All Night Long, which was the, the probably the second biggest hit on the album, Party Anthem. I liked it because in the video, there were kids break dancing, and that was during my Hopping and locking days. So it had Caribbean overtones, a lot of just different party beats in there and and kind of the perfect summertime celebration song and everybody loved it. (laughs) 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 What? Everybody loved it. (laughs) They did. (laughs) Um... I don't know if you're familiar with the album cover, and folks will have to look this up online. You know, it's your typical kind of 80s, sitting with a chair backwards, looking pretty suave on the back. He's looking super suave with his pushed up sleeves on his suit coat. He's a good looking guy. Looking cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very handsome. And then on the inside of the gatefold, there's (sighs) an... I don't understand it. It's photoshopped or something. It's Lionel on a giant golden pole suspended in the air. (laughs) With a very joyful fa- look on his face, <laughs> if anyone has any insight into what this means, or if if Lionel was this was some kind of cry for help, please let <laughs> us know on the socials at <laughs> Album Nerds and on Discord. You got to post a picture of that man because it looks like he's
2: about to land right on his butt. I mean, I
1: don't know what's Is it happening. That he can't slow down. <laughs> that could be it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I. Uh, this is a childhood favorite. I don't find it cringy as I do some of my other childhood favorites. Really enjoy it. I think he of the early '80s. He was like kind of the face of Motown and and some of that the old sound trying to get into the new. And he was a great gateway for that. And love can't slow down. I encourage people who just want to have a nice, pleasant experience and let Uncle Lionel <laughs> make you feel like everything's going to be all right. So it's Lionel Richie. Can't slow down. <laughs>
2: All right, so what did we learn about Motown on the show today, boys and girls? A couple things for me. You know, Motown, as we discussed, was not just the sixties and seventies, but it did have a lot of influence on through even today. Um, so that was kind of cool to see that spread out over multiple decades. I uh, just you know, just the idea of of kind of African American music, you know, made and produced by African Americans and we talked about some of those blues records in the past where like these artists are just being exploited by the record companies and this is kind of the opposite of that we're really getting a chance to kind of build up their own communities and support each other uh, i think that's awesome and hopefully it's not as much of a thing nowadays but you know at the time it seems really important so and that that, that alone i think is a, a great reason for it to exist
0: well, I know some of these artists came, you know, right out of poverty. You know, the the Supremes, you know, were out of the, you know, the projects in in Detroit. Music kind of empowered them. I mean, just you know, as we're trying to figure out, you know, which which records we we want to review. I mean, you just uncover just so much so much talent. I mean, we didn't get to do a Temptations record, you know, and they they have
1: some great albums. I mean, it's just such a, a deep roster. I learned some things like uh, about Junior Walker and that part, you know, those side imprints of Motown that I didn't fully understand before. I haven't really thought about its impact, the Motown label and the sound and Barry Gordy's uh, never quit attitude, his ability to get people around, find talent and then find people to find talent and build this thing. Some of the biggest artists in the world and just for R&B music in general, getting uh, an opportunity for black artists to really be stars, you know, not, you know, uh, exceptions. Things were really pushed forward a lot for uh, artists to be able to freely express themselves as singers and songwriters. And Motown is a big part of, of pushing that forward. It takes something like this, digging in and reading that to kind of remind you. And that's what I learned this week. And that's one to grow on. All right, gather rounds.
2: It's time to uh, bring out the old Wheel of Musical Destiny yet again and see what fate has in store for us.
0: I'm your Density.
1: chosen going solo going solo so artists that were part of let's say notable groups or bands that went solo Hmm. all right should be fun
2: lots of good things to pick from there i would say
0: i thought it was a star wars reference
1: (laughs) (laughs) of course you did Did Pluto shoot first or did Pluto? Pluto. (laughs) Han. I don't know. Pluto. Wow. It's it's something like that. It's some kind of. Mickey's dog. Yeah. Pluto. (laughs) That's Pluto, man. I said Pluto with a B. I think that's another Disney
2: character. Give me (laughs) your hand.
0: Okay. Uh, What's your favorite Motown record? Uh, What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow Album Nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Album Nerds. And if you'd like to support the show, do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.
1: Thank you for joining us here at the Album Nerds Podcast. We'll see you next time when we talk about Going solo, not Jabba the Hutt, not Luke Skywalker. <laughs> See you then.
0: Oh, I I forgot my <laughs> I forgot my exit because uh, all of a sudden I was gonna I wanted to do something Star Wars but hmm what can I Misa no like uh, Liza like, <laughs> Misa oh, <no. laughs> listen you <laughs> <him>. <laughs> that's good Uh, we could do the Star Wars band do the
1: (laughs) that's good that's very good